Welcome to the Faith Brief Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Dan Slagle and was recorded on Sunday, January 15th, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org live. Here's Dan. Welcome to FaithBridge. So glad you've chosen to worship with us today, whether you're here in the live service or if you're in our communion service or if you're coming to us online. It's good to have you with us today. We're continuing on in our sermon series, the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be throughout the year 2023. Pastor Ken got us started last week and uh, he helped us understand that the book of Acts really is a sequel to the book of Luke, which is where we were throughout 2022. The gospel of Luke, of course, is the story the story of the life of Jesus, how he came into the world, the ministry that he had while he was here on earth, culminating, of course, with uh, the uh, free, willing sacrifice of his life for you and for me, doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And then three days later, raised from the dead. After he had been resurrected for a period of time, he gathered his disciples together and said to them, boys, uh, my part in this endeavor is over. I have done the work that the Father gave me to do. I have laid down my life for humanity. And now I am going back to the Father, but there is still so much work to be done. This message has to be taken all over the world. And that's where you come in. That's going to be your responsibility. And before they could be uh, completely overwhelmed by the enormity of this task and their sense of uh, complete inadequacy, Jesus gave to them a promise as if to say, look, 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 you know, I, I, I know this is scaring you. And uh, I, I know that uh, this is a really big thing that I've asked you to do. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that promise would, in fact, come to fruition. Jesus was saying to them, look, I, I know this is a big job, but I'm not going to ask you to do it on your own. I'm going to send my spirit who will empower and equip you to do what you could never hope to do on your own. And this would come to pass, of course, and we read the story of how the spirit came in Acts chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this special day in the history of the church when you poured out your spirit, when you empowered and equipped us to do the work that you commissioned us to do, to take the gospel all over the world so that everyone might have a chance to know new life in Jesus Christ. We pray now as we turn our attention to that story that your Holy Spirit would be at work here in our midst, teaching us just as you promised and guiding us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amazed and perplexed, the last verse says, they asked themselves, what does this mean? I ask you, was there ever a more appropriate question to be asked. Think about it for a minute. Put, put yourself in the place of those bystanders, those individuals who were hearing the gospel in their own language. The disciples were in a room, an enclosed room, commonly referred to as the upper room. And suddenly a noise like a violent wind began to rattle the place. You know, no loudspeakers, no fans, nothing of the sort, just out of the blue, all of a sudden, there's this tremor like a violent wind shaking the building. And then, as if that weren't crazy enough, suddenly these little flickers of flame rest on the top of each one of the disciples. And they suddenly begin to proclaim the wonders of God, the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in languages that all those who had gathered in Jerusalem could understand, who could hear. No wonder they were asking themselves, what does this mean? What, what on earth is happening right now? I'm sure no one had ever experienced anything of the sort. What does this mean? On a macro scale, what it meant was Jesus' promise had come to fruition. The Holy Spirit had in fact come just as he promised and equipped and prepared the disciples to do what they were being called to do. On an individual level, each disciple was having their own experience being used by God to do the work that they had been called to do. But right here in 2023, we need to ask the very same question. What, what does this story mean for us? You know, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, scripture says. 
This isn't just a good story for 2,000 years ago. No, this story has impact and meaning for us today. And so that's where I want us to go. That's where I want us to dive and consider the work of the Holy Spirit on the day that we call Pentecost. Now, in my experience, hands down, no other character in the Bible has been as misunderstood as the Holy Spirit. Because of our inability to fully comprehend the Spirit, because of our uh, sinfulness and brokenness, oftentimes the Holy Spirit has become an object of division and debate within the church instead of pulling us together, which is the work that he wants to do. And over the years, I've noticed that many Christians tend to divide themselves into one of two camps regarding the Holy Spirit. On the one hand, there are those Christians for whom the Holy Spirit is best ignored, at least put on the back burner. Not really sure what he's all about, what he's up to, so let's just don't get involved in something that we're not too sure about. Now, uh, the Father, that's God proper. So yeah, we're all about that. We're all about the Father. And of course, everybody's all for the Son, Jesus. Everybody's good with Jesus. But this Holy Spirit, man, sort of the odd man out. I mean, two's company, three's a crowd. So come on now. And after all, you know, the, the people who really get excited about the Holy Spirit, uh, they tend to be kind of kooky, honestly. A little on the woo-woo side. So let's just play it safe and we'll talk about him when we say the Apostles' Creed. But other than that, let's just keep him there in the Bible, okay? Then there's the other camp, the kooky woo-woos, <laughs> for whom the Holy Spirit is everything, the central focus, the, the, the basis of their faith. Everything is related through and to the Holy Spirit almost exclusive of other aspects of the Christian faith, the Christian experience. And in some of these groups, it, it's the manifestation of the Spirit that really counts, the way that he reveals himself. It's often the, the, the manifestation of the Spirit that indicates whether or not you've really got him whether or not he's really active in your local body of believers or active in your life as an individual. About 35 years ago, I had the opportunity to visit a little bitty church in Eastern Kentucky. And up at the front of the church on the altar were about a half a dozen wooden boxes, each one of them about a foot square. And inside each one of these boxes were a collection of rattlesnakes, cottonmouths, and copperheads. Alive. And the proof that the Holy Spirit was at work there in our midst and in your life as an individual was for you to reach into that box and grab two or three of those things and hold them up in the air. Nope. <laughs> Not happening. Fast forward 20 years or so, I was in Botswana, a country in Southern Africa. And in this particular worship service, in this particular tradition, the evidence that the Holy Spirit was there and at work was for individuals out of the blue 
to suddenly fall down onto the floor, flopping like a fish, seizing, convulsing, screaming and yelling. It was actually a quite terrifying experience to, to be a part of it. Nope, not going there either. As I see it, we, we, we don't have to and shouldn't live in either one of those camps. We certainly should not neglect the Holy Spirit. It's the third person of the Trinity. Obviously, the promise of Jesus has a vital role to play in the life of the church and in our lives as individuals. But neither do we have to make him everything. One commentator uh, accurately, I think, says that the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity because his primary work is to glorify Jesus, to lift up the name of Jesus. I think there's plenty of room sort of in between these two extremes to understand and experience the work of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament tells us in any number of places what it is he's up to in our midst, what it is he wants to accomplish in our midst. In John chapters 15 and 16, Jesus said, I'm going to send to you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the one who will come alongside you when you're struggling in your faith, when life is hard, and who will provide you with the supernatural power that you need to keep going. Jesus called him the advocate, the one who stands on our behalf when the enemy accuses us. It's the Holy Spirit who defends us and proclaims our forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that he would guide us into all truth, that he would be the one who would help us make sense of this book and understand it as it was intended to be understood. And then the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says that the Holy Spirit is our prayer warrior. When we come to those places in our life that prayer is just too hard, we don't have the words to say it's the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf, he says, with groans and words that are too deep to understand that only God could understand. So the Holy Spirit definitely has a role to play in our lives. And in this particular passage, we see yet another work of the Holy Spirit, a very specific thing that the Spirit did there and wants to do today as well. What the Spirit is doing in Acts chapter 2 is he is enabling and empowering men to tell other people about Jesus. That's the point of the story, is that the disciples were given a gift that they didn't have before. The courage, the ability, and the voice to speak forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were supernaturally, miraculously given languages that were not their own. We're not told who spoke which particular language, but apparently at least one of the disciples was speaking the gospel forth in Parthian. And another one was speaking in Elamite. And yet another was speaking in Phrygian and another in Egyptian and one in Latin and one in Arabic. God was working in and through their lives, their voices, the languages that they were given to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And God wants to do the very same thing with you and me today. You have a voice. You have a language. I'm speaking figuratively, of course. I seriously doubt that you're going to suddenly find yourself speaking Parthian or Phrygian anytime soon. But just by virtue of the way God has wired you, the gifts that God has given to you, the sort of person that he has made you, you have a voice and a language that there are certain people in this world will be able to hear. There are some people in this world that I will be able to speak to about Jesus and have them respond positively that you could never speak to. And there will be people that you can talk to that I would never be able to talk to. It's not that one is any better than the other. There's just difference. They're just different. And God intends that each and every one of us discover what is it? What is the voice? What is the language? How is it, God, that you want to use me to speak to people that you have chosen for me to speak to about this timeless, beautiful message called the gospel? I'll tell you a couple of stories to illustrate what I'm talking about. I've got a friend who is an extrovert's extrovert. I mean, you could say this guy is an extrovert on steroids. There is nothing in the world he likes better than to approach total strangers and engage them in conversation. Sometimes about the gospel, sometimes about other things. He just enjoys being with people and talking to people. And on top of all that, the guy is a born comedian. I mean, he could make a dog laugh if that's what he had to do. I marvel at his ability to do that. I remember one time we were on a train together, about a three-hour train ride. I was about four or five rows back. And before we got to our destination, I observed my buddy up there, rows ahead, and there's about a half a dozen people gathered around him, standing up. He's holding forth, talking to them about Jesus. And then there's me. The introvert's introvert. I mean, honestly, nothing makes me happier than the prospect of being by myself with a book, nobody for miles around. The prospect of me having to talk to a complete stranger about the gospel or anything else under the sun is enough to make me want to vomit. Sometimes I carry a Kindle with me in public so that if I sit down in a restaurant or some other place, I can open up and stick my nose in it and hope it will ward off anybody who's thinking about coming and engaging me in conversation. It's not that I don't like people. It's not that I don't love people. I'm just not wired to engage people that way. I'm not a natural conversationalist. I'm not chatty. I'm sure not like my friend who's just overflowing with personality and an eagerness to talk. That's just not me. The two or three times that I have tried to be Mr. Extrovert and Mr. Outgoing, they were catastrophes. One time I nearly got punched right in the nose. And for years I labored under the illusion that I was uh, a second-class believer. 
Because I didn't have that ability to just step up there and tell people about Jesus unless I was standing up here. Now up here, it's a piece of cake. But you get me one-on-one, look out. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, man, I I must be defective. What's going on? Why why can't I? But then one day uh, in a seminary class, a professor that, that Pastor Ken and I had back in our seminary days said something that changed my life. He was talking about personality, the the, the reality of personality, that we all have one, they're all different by God's design, and that personality is inextricably bound up with ministry. The way we do ministry is going to be a reflection of our personality. And he said, for example, some of you are what I call frontline evangelists. You're out there. You love it. You want to engage with people every opportunity you get. And I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, here we go again. First class, second class. But then he said, others of you, on the other hand, are what I call background evangelists. My ears perked up at that. He said, your work isn't any less important. It's just different. Your approach is more often than not to engage in relational evangelism where you establish a friendship with someone and over time you gain that person's trust and then when the moment is right, you share the gospel. It's safe and comfortable for everybody. No vomit, no punched noses. (laughs) It's all good. And I thought to myself, exactly, that is the voice that God has given me. My friend has one voice, has one language that he speaks by God's design, but I've been given another one. And here's the thing. We all have a voice and a language. Anyone who proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord has a voice and a language empowered by the Holy Spirit that equips them to share the gospel with others. None of us are exempt. No one style is better than the other. They are all just different, but they are all accomplishing the very same thing. They're sharing the gospel with a world that desperately, desperately needs to hear it. You know, I have to think that in a crowd this size, those that are here and those that are online, we've got the gamut. I mean, all the way from the extroverts to the introverts and everywhere in between, which is exactly the way God wants it. And here's why. Friends, you and I live in an incredibly diverse world. There are billions of people out there who have different perspectives and opinions and mindsets and worldviews and life experiences that have shaped them. And brought them to where they are today. And so evangelism, telling other people about Jesus, cannot be a one-size-fits-all proposition. God needs different people in his kingdom to address the different people who are outside the kingdom. Does that make sense? Yeah. We've all got a role to play. We've all been given a language and a voice. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you using it? 
Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to empower you just as he empowered those first disciples to speak languages, to reach people who were outside the kingdom? Well, how do you get to that place? How do you get to a place of of owning your voice, owning your language, and then speaking it forth in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, very quickly, as I see it, as I read this story and think about it, it seems to me that there are three prerequisites very quickly. Number one, you need to love Jesus. You need to love him. If you don't love him, why are you gonna go tell anybody about him? It may be, if you're not telling other people about Jesus, it it isn't a language problem. It's not a voice problem. It's a love problem. Relationships go stale. Marriages, children, parents, siblings, friends. Relationships are work, and that includes our relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've allowed that relationship to go stale. And maybe the starting place for you in being used by God is to fan those flames once again of love and get in touch with the fact that he loves you with an everlasting love that will draw out of you an everlasting love for him. The starting place is you gotta love Jesus. The second thing I think is you've got to obey him. Obedience. Love is the engine. Obedience is the outcome. We obey because we love. And maybe in your case, the reason you're not using your voice, you're not using your language, is because there's an obedience problem. You love the Lord, but for some reason you're just having difficulty doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, when I was a little boy, There was not a single day in my life, not one, that I did not love, love, love my mama. But there were plenty of days I was disobedient. I had to grow up. I had to mature. I had to come to a place of understanding my mom only has my best interests in mind. And the reason she wants me to be obedient is because she loves me. And eventually I got to a place where I could express my love for her by being obedient. And it's the same thing in our walk with Jesus. We've got to grow up. We've got to understand he's not spoiling our party, not raining on our parade. He asks us to walk in obedience because he loves us. And an expression of love to him is to say, yes, Lord. And then finally, a third thing is do the work to discover your voice, your language. Don't try to be like anybody else. Be who God has made you to be. God has got people out there. Divine dates, if you will. And he's counting on you to intersect with those persons and speak forth the truth in such a way that they will be able to receive it that they probably wouldn't be able to hear from anybody else. Spend time with God and ask him, Lord, how is it you've wired me? How is it you've made me? Ask other people. Ask your spouse. And then step out 
and begin to tell the world the greatest news that they will ever hear. One of the things I love about Faithbridge Church is that we have always been an outwardly focused church. We exist for the people who are not here. And one of the ways we do that is through an amazing missions program. We've got the road for young people and we've got adult mission trips. And if you've never been on a mission trip, it's been my experience, having led about 80 of them, that it's a beautiful place to find your voice. Time after time, I have seen people go on a trip and suddenly discover, wow, I've got something to say. Just like the mother and daughter in the video, it was in Lubbock that they found their voice and now they're speaking it to the world. That can happen to you. Over in Center Court East in the atrium after the worship service today, there's going to be a table for adult mission trips among the other serve opportunities. I hope you'll make your way over there and begin to discover opportunities to find your voice. But before we go, I think it would be entirely appropriate for us to pray and for us to earnestly ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are your people and yet we are frail and weak and oftentimes just don't know what to do, what to say. All the more proof that we need you. We need your Holy Spirit empowering us, equipping us to speak forth truth and to speak forth truth in ways that will land on hearts, open, receptive hearts, needy hearts, hearts that are searching for you. I pray that you would stir up cold embers of love and help us to fall in love with you all over again. I pray that you would give us hearts that yearn to be obedient even when it costs because we know you know what's best. And Lord, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters that you would reveal to us our voice, our unique language so that when we speak the truth, it will go forth in power it will change lives and it will glorify Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen.